Welcome to Super Together. It's the podcast where a couples therapist and a life coach talk about how to be better at relationships. I'm Ginger Rathis, and I'm the life coach, and with me is James Cochran, the couples therapist. Each week, we talk through a topic and see what it has to teach us about cultivating more authentic relationships. James, do you have a story about our topic today? No. Yes. Well, <laughs> what is know, our topic? Probably. So... Um, this is a listener suggested topic. So for those of you who are new to the podcast, we have a really cool Facebook community and every week on Mondays we'll say, Hey, what do you guys want to hear this week? What feels like it is most, um, relevant right now? What's rising to the surface. And this week we heard, um, from, we actually suggested a few, and then somebody on their own suggested this idea of fortitude. Um, and then a lot of people got behind that and said, oh, yeah, I want to hear about fortitude. That sounds great. And so then I looked at Ginger across the ether and said, what is fortitude? Um, so we got in touch with the listener um, who was um, who suggested the topic, and here is uh, what she said fortitude is. Uh, fortitude is the concept of courage in the face of adversity and pain. We often talk about holding our boundaries, asserting our wants and needs, and to anticipate what others may be unhappy with our change. Anticipate that others may be unhappy with our change. And so we talk a lot on the show about, you know, open and honest communication and putting yourself in a position to kind of insist on this is how I want to be treated. This is what I expect out of a relationship. And even in the past couple of weeks, we talked about, you know, politics and cooperative self-care and, and things that maybe have the potential to put you more at odds with other people. And so I think we are going to call this episode because fortitude's a great notion, but maybe one that people are less familiar with. What does it look like to embrace a season of change with courage um, to be able to say, um, I'm making decisions that are best for me and for the relationships that are important to me and that I value. Um, and that moment of change, that season of change is going to require courage of me because that's going to be challenged in different spaces. The people with whom I'm setting boundaries may want those boundaries to be pushed and decide that they're not healthy or not appropriate or not correct. So I think we really just want to explore um, this idea. Um, and with regard to a story, um, we've mentioned in the midst of this political season that I think a lot of people are re-clarifying some of their boundaries when it comes to people who are not treating them with respect, not giving them the dignity that they feel that they are, that they are deserve and um, are owed. And so, you know, you're blocking people on Facebook and you're unfollowing people on Facebook and you're deciding, you know, maybe that person can be in my life a little bit less. Um, I think that we, um, this is probably in our politics episode and we may talk about this a little bit more in the coming weeks, you know, but thinking about what does it look like to navigate Thanksgiving in a space where um, cranky Uncle Ted is somebody who I really don't want to be around. I really don't feel safe being around. Um, you know, so um, I think that this shows up a lot. Um, outside of this political season, I know that I've routinely interacted with clients who will say to me, you know, um, my parents create so much anxiety in my life. They're so stressful. I, I Being around them is difficult. Um, they're they favor my sibling versus me. Like there's all these ways in which they don't feel comfortable in their relationship with their parents. And yet they insist like, but 
I've got to be with my parents. They have a particular value system, often a Judeo-Christian one, which, you know, articulates this idea of honoring your mother and father. So they feel one way or another, they're just kind of stuck with their parents in their lives, even to a degree that makes them feel uncomfortable. And I have to say that through the course of counseling, a lot of what we come to is this idea that um, you're going to be confronted with the question of, are my values, the things that I sort of showed up to my life with, are they helping me or are they hurting me? Um, and in a lot of these cases, the value of honor your mother and father is really hurting a lot of these folks because they're not being treated with compassion. They're not being treated with respect. And so trying to establish boundaries becomes the healthiest thing that they can do, even if it means prioritizing the value of I need to be treated with respect over the value of I should honor my mother and father. Um, so I think as as people who are inclined to guide our clients toward their very best lives, we are so um, consistently encouraging people to set boundaries with people in their lives and to say to people in their lives, hey, you, you might want to have a different kind of relationship with this person. Um, and then they go out and do it. And then they find that that's really hard and that there are all kinds of ways in which that is met with resistance and with frustration and with anger and volatility. Um, and that circles us back to this notion of fortitude. Um, and what does it look like to reassure ourselves that we're making decisions that are the best for us, um, to feel confidence that the boundaries that we're setting are actually serving um, our best life because we're going to be met with resistance on a pretty regular basis. So that's a kind of a long-winded introduction to the concept. You know, when you think about this idea of navigating change with courage, what are you, what, what call, is called to mind for you? Yeah, I think when you talk about like honoring the value of, or a value of honoring your mother and father, to me, my question would be, if I was working with somebody on this, is what is a good enough daughter? What does it mm. mean to honor your mother and father? And define some of those things a little bit deeper than just these high-level values. Like, mm -hmm. what does that mean to you? And and then, you know, and then what does respect, what does self-respect mean to you? And what, you know, I think that sometimes we have these lofty things and they just create anxiety for us because we don't really drill down into what does that mean for me? Mm -hmm. Um and so what would a good daughter do if you're if you're worried about being a bad daughter <laughs> then you know and i usually try to get rid of who says it's what's good and bad and those labels um but what is enough for you and is missing thanksgiving one year to keep everyone safe um you know let's look at how that does honor your mother and father and and so i think there's some a lot of room for nuance in kind of considering our values um, you reminded me that um, this is on my website, but it's an acronym called DECIDE. Uh, the mm. letters spelled DECIDE. And, but it is like, what does, what's the real decision? That's the mm -hmm. D to be made. Like define the decision and then explore the options. And I love to do this on my whiteboard with people of just what are all of our options? You know, do nothing, um, go, not go, go for an hour, go for, you know, seven hours. I, like, look at every single option you have here. Because I think sometimes when we get it out in front of us, we actually, you know, find that, oh, I do have the courage to make that decision. Um, and then consider the impact and the kind of the outcomes and then identify your values as you spoke to and then decide and take action. So that spells the acronym decide and there's more detail um, in the practices section mm -hmm. of my website, uh, compassionfix.com. But I think what 
as you were talking, it reminded me of that acronym. It's, it's really kind of helpful to go through this. Then I think that's where courage comes from, mm. is I've thought through this. I have given it my due diligence. I've either written it out or really processed it deeply, maybe discuss it with somebody else. And so then the the change is still hard, but I can stand in the fact that I did my homework. I thought it through. I really looked at the impact on everybody and I can, I can move forward in confidence. Um, I think that's a big piece of trusting ourselves. And I like her uh, definition of fortitude because I think that idea of courage in adversity and pain and staying with something that sounds like fortitude like mm-hmm. steadfast um so how do we trust ourselves to stay with our decision and have the courage to trust ourselves? is i think what i hear in that question yeah yeah i i did a meditation for the um uh, the election there was an election vigil and so i did this meditation that was focused on courage and nelson mandela i use this quote to kind of start things off i think says um that courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. Um, And so when you move into a season where you say, you know, hey, I'm going to start to draw some boundaries. I don't think that I need you to be in my life in the same way. Um, That's that is going to evoke fear for you. Mm -hmm. That's going to be something that creates anxiety, makes you feel less comfortable. And it is okay to feel those things. But being able to refer back to a notion that strengthens that decision to be able to say, oh, well, here here are the reasons why I made this choice. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that we often forget those. There's this psychological concept called the availability heuristic. And it is basically the when we think about a thing or a person, um, we're just going to sort of latch on to whatever we identify first. So whatever the most available memories, the most available examples are, now, now sometimes those might be really valuable, um, and sometimes those might be not super helpful. So here's an example. So let's say um, through this really contentious election season, you have noticed that there is a particular friend who is just communicating a lot of hatred, communicating a lot of um, things that make you feel really uncomfortable, make it so that you don't feel especially safe around them. So you've made a decision to say, you know, I'm not going to spend quite as much time with this friend. Uh, so when December rolls around, you start to see pictures of, you know, holiday lights. And then you remember, oh, yeah, I always used to go to do holiday light stuff with this friend. Well, that, again, is the availability heuristic. And what that's going to do is you're going to start drawing on the memory of holiday lights that you did with this friend, which are bound to be positive memories. And so what you're going to be experiencing in your brain is this dissonance between oh, I really loved spending time with this friend. Why am I not spending time with that friend? And should I really have cut them off in the way that I did? Should I really have drawn that boundary in the way that I did? And that doubt, I think, is is a fair thing to have. And I think that that's why returning to some kind of grounded practice that says, well, why was this decision best for me? And that, for example, is also not to say that you can't revisit that in some season of your life where you get to a place where you say, oh, well, actually, does this still represent the very best lived life for me? Or is there a way that I can reintroduce this person? Has this person grown and changed in any meaningful way? Um, But all of that should be run against the litmus test of what is best for me. Um, Because, and and I don't know, that seems a little bit selfish, even just saying it out loud to say what is best for me. Um, But I, 
at the risk of sounding like a therapist, like no one's going to look out for the best for you unless you do. Um, and so I think that that's where we start to draw those boundaries. Um, as we start to think about that dissonance, because I think that that to me is the, the, the thing that's going to create the most um, distress, the most um, discomfort in drawing these boundaries and making these changes in our lives um, is that ambivalence mm-hmm. that we experience uh, toward, should I be making this change? Should I not be making this change? Mm-hmm. How might we guide people toward challenging that ambivalence when it arises in their, in their awareness? Yeah, I think one of the things that we have to remember is I get to decide if it was a good decision or a bad decision, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's part of part of what I see women, especially because I work with a lot of women, beating themselves up for is that they are telling themselves the story that it was a bad decision. And many times we get to say, that was a good decision. That was a great holiday. Mm-hmm. I, and, and so I think that part of ambivalence is the pressure to make a decision so we just shut down. And mm-hmm. And it's the fear of making the wrong decision. And we forget that, one, that's just a fear. And that on the other side of this, I get to determine whether that was right for me or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we we hold the, the reins to the narrative that mm-hmm. we tell of the story. And so it's like we get to make these decisions on the other side of it of whether that was good or not. I think the other thing with ambivalence that I notice is kind of under that is, do I just want to exist or do I want to thrive mm-hmm. and feel empowered and come alive? And, you know, I, I have this adage of thrive or survive. And, you know, I think that, um, we can choose that. Like, do I just want to get by and just keep getting along and not rocking the boat and not honoring myself? Or do I want to find the courage so that I can feel empowered and, and like I spoke up for myself and that Mm -hmm. I do have a voice. And so I think that ambivalence to me is just kind of that stuckness of, I don't know what to do. So maybe I do nothing. And that mm-hmm. to me is not thriving and living the life that, that has been given to you. As you were describing that, I'm thinking about the ability that we have to make decisions for ourselves, but how regularly we defer that decision-making to other people. Yeah. If um, you decide, hey, this relationship really needs to be over. And so let's say you go through a divorce. Um, but let's say your faith community, let's say your family, friends, people who are really attached to a particular faith tradition say, oh, divorce is bad. Um, you really shouldn't be doing that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we will often defer to those uh, cultural forces, to those re- other relationships th- uh, those are the people saying, no, 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 here's what it looks like for you to move through your best live life. Um, but if you rely on saying like, well, if those other people's opinions didn't matter to me, or at a minimum, if my opinion mattered more than theirs, um, then how would that guide my decision making? And I think in those cases, you would probably find yourself sticking to the decision that you made at the beginning um, because that decision was made from a place of intentionality. It was drawn from a a fullness of your experience that was based on 
the way that those other people might have hurt you, the way that those other people might have limited you from being able to thrive. Um, and so I think that those are um, important distinctions to make when we are confronted with that ambivalence because the ambivalence almost always comes from, well, I have this internal sense of what's best for me. But then there's also this thing that I have internalized from some kind of external influence, from my family of origin, from the friends that are part of my life, from my work colleagues, from my faith tradition. And those things might all be fine, but you're the one that actually has to live your life. You're the one that actually has to, you know, put your shoes on in the morning and go walk through your life in those shoes. So making decisions based on your notion of what's best for you will almost always lead you to a more authentic expression of who you are. And so I think that that is part of the groundedness that I think we would encourage people to arrive at when they're confronted with the anxiety, dissonance, ambivalence in these seasons of change is that you're the one living your life. Nobody else is living it for you. Their opinions might have value to you and that you might care about those other people or institutions. But until your pastor um, lives your life on your behalf, that pastor doesn't get to tell you how to live your life. You're the one that makes those decisions. So I want to draw a circle around some of the things that we've talked about to this point. Um, first, when you are making decisions about drawing boundaries in your life, so sort of at the inception point of, I want to make this look different, um, make an intentional decision, make it be a decision that f takes everything into consideration, in particular your own experience, because that is something you will be able to return to um, when you're confronted with that dissonance and ambivalence that will give you a sense of internal security. Um, if we decide what's best for us and what is best for us to thrive, that needs to be the most important basis for our decision-making rather than the decisions of other people and, and what those may or may not mean for us. Uh, what are some of the other things that we've touched on or are there other things that I we want to make sure that we draw people's attention yeah, to? Yeah, I think the, the other thing is this idea of fortitude after a breakup. If you're feeling like I wasn't the chosen one, right? Mm. I think what we're saying too is choose yourself, right? You're, we, we get devastated because people don't choose us. But what I heard you saying in, in your last words, James, was this idea of you choose you and you mm -hmm. design your life and you figure out what it takes for you to thrive and, and, and be confident in that, which is not easy. It takes time. And it's often, for many of us, it's a mindset management uh, practice that we have mm -hmm. to keep kind of reminding ourselves of that and come back to it. I know for me it is that that you know my dependency on our other people approving of me or other people choosing me. I have to reframe that often into wait a minute. I'm doing work I love. I get to choose mm -hmm. my future. I get to design this. If people come, awesome. But that's icing on the cake. Um, and that's that idea of thriving instead of surviving and, and choosing the path ahead for ourselves. And if, if the more we remind ourselves of that, I think that's really where courage and fortitude are developed. Yeah. yeah. I think if I was going to articulate one last notion when it comes to seasons like this, it's just that resistance is a very natural part of any kind of change. The common example that I give people is of a uh, mobile that you hang over a baby's bed where there's all these different elements that are uh, interconnected and moving as a part of it. If you take one piece of that mobile and you start to pull it down, every other piece of that mobile is going to shift its position. 
And because of those shifts, those other pieces are going to offer different levels of resistance. You know, the ones that are closest to the thing that are being pulled, you know, they may not shift quite as much, but there are some that are going to be more dramatically moved on the opposite end. And just because of how gravity and different forces work, some of those are going to say like, no, 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 we really want to go back to the sort of equilibrium that we're used to. And so that resistance is something that we can expect, something that is natural, uh, but something that ultimately we want to say is not our responsibility when it comes to making those changes, uh, that those other people are going to need to become comfortable relating to us in a new way, one that is guided by our decisions about what it's going to take to live our best life. And, you know, that's a that can be a difficult thing to do. It can mean that there are some people who decide, um, you know, okay, well, then I don't, you know, want you to be in my life. I think I often... Um, will tell people this when they're in a situation at work where they're worried, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. And so I want to um, ask my boss for time off because I, I just, I need some, some mental health time to really recuperate. And um, their fear is that, well, what if my boss um, says no? What if my boss judges me for that? What if my boss thinks that that means that I'm not a good employee? What if they fire me because of that? And this, it almost feels cliche to say, but it's like, well, if your boss fires you because you need to care for yourself, then I don't want you to work for that boss, you know? And that's, that is part of how we can guide these decisions that we make is that we move into these spaces where we decide what's best for us. And when we insist on what's best for us, there will be people who say, well, but that's not best for me. And if they can't offer us any sort of flexibility, any sort of cooperative yielding to what we actually need to feel okay, then, then those people are giving us a signal. There's who, who said that expression, when people show you who they are, believe them. Yeah, Maya Angelou. Uh, Maya Angelou, yeah. And so um, those can be things that we pay attention to as we move through that process. So when somebody says, hey, uh, you did a bad thing because you decided to separate from your husband um, who was emotionally negligent towards you and, and, and abusive to you in some of these, in some of these ways, well, that's, that's, that's a person telling you who they are. One, they're saying that they have some authority in telling you how to live your life, even though they may not have the full story. But then if they did have the full story, the fact that they would be deciding that their value of you remaining in a marriage, even though that marriage is really harmful to you, tells you that, hey, that person may need to have a more limited role in my life. Mm -hmm. um, so we can allow all of these decisions and the way that people respond to them to inform the way that we continue to have relationships with them rather than allowing that to be something that causes us to doubt the decisions that we've made. Um, so, Ginger, anything else on the notion of courage in the face of adversity, courage in the face of change, uh, fortitude, et cetera? Uh, one more question to ask yourself is, what if I believed in myself? Mm. You know? um, so when you're doubting yourself or wondering if you're doing the right thing, um, just stop and ask yourself, what if I believed in myself? What, what then? Mm. And oftentimes you feel a little shift into hope and clarity and strength. Okay, we do not have a voicemail today. Um, and just as a reminder, we would love to get voicemails from you. We uh, 
have this cool new segment called Listener Voicemails. So far, we've gotten to do it twice because people have called us. One of those people was my wife. Hashtag uh, no shame in that being the case. So call us at 913-428-9729. It's really not an intimidating process. I can upload it anonymously. I can distort your voice so that people will not um, recognize that it's you. Um, But if you have something where you say, you know, I've always wondered how do you talk to your son who is just way too into turtles and you think that his buying turtle habit has become a little bit out of control and that somebody needs to be able to save him from this habit? I How do you have that conversation? That What's that? I hope we get that yeah. question. I want well, to hear your answer. Well, you know, any kind of question <laughs> like that where if it has to do with the relationships, you know, Ginger and I have a breadth of wisdom and knowledge. Um, and sometimes we may have direct guidance on the question. And sometimes we may just have general thoughts or ideas. Uh, but we really would love to um, hear your thoughts on that. So uh, like I said, give us a call at at 913-428-9729 and leave us a voicemail. So Super Together is produced by Ginger Rothis, Melody Rowell, and me, James Cochran. Special sound design this week coming from the construction crew of Duck Donuts, who is next door to Ginger's office and are just giving us a few special effects. You can find links to our amazing Facebook community, our practice websites, and the rest of our social links at our home on the web, supertogether.org. If you want to submit a listener voicemail, give us a call at 913-428-9729. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to Super Together. It really does help new people get connected with the show. We'll be back next week. Until then, be well. well.